Gospel according to St. Luke from the 14th chapter. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At first, Jesus teaching in this gospel story for today seems much tamer than the radical stuff we've been hearing over the past few Sundays. He isn't promising to bring fire to the earth. He isn't saying he's going to bring division. He isn't calling anyone a hypocrite. Instead, Jesus is doing something that really just sounds actually a lot more like the good practical advice we might read in a newspaper column on social etiquette. Or if we think about all the young people going off to college right now, it sounds maybe a lot like the kind of wise advice that any parent would want to give his or her child as they go out the door. When you get invited out, Jesus says, don't make a fool of yourself by sitting down in the place of honor, which maybe is not for you, because it will be really embarrassing when the host comes over and in front of everyone else says, excuse me, but I need to give up your seat for this person here because you don't belong here. A much better plan, Jesus says, is to choose the lesser seat as you enter the room. And then if the host comes over and says to you, friend, I want you to come up here to this place of honor, that will feel really good. 
Sounds like pretty safe and good advice. I can hear a lot of parents saying the same version of that today. Along with all of that sound advice that comes in our second reading today from the book of Hebrews. Let mutual love continue, I can hear parents saying as a child goes out the door, perhaps off to some place in life. And remember, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. You may have freedom now, but think about those people in prison as though you were in prison with them. And if you get married, let the marriage bed be undefiled. Oh, and by the way, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Goodbye. <laughs> it's a long list, but I think we'd agree that it's all good. Could it be then that Jesus is just reinforcing, along with the author of Hebrews, something that we already know very well? There's a part of me that wills that to be true. Then I think about the bigger context of Jesus' life and ministry, and I remember that he can never be domesticated or easily aligned with any of our mainstream values. And that does become very clear in the next words that Jesus said about the world being upended, the humble being exalted, the, the proud being humbled. But then he especially, this happens when he turns and addresses the person who's hosted the meal, who's invited him. And he says, by the way, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return. Instead, Jesus says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because none of them can repay you. It makes you wish that you hadn't continued reading after that first part of this gospel because now Jesus is back in the groove of saying things that put us on edge and that upset the world in which we live, the way things are ordered, so carefully ordered. Historians tell us that in the first century, Social life was a highly ordered one when it came to all of these different complex human relationships. But at every level of society, people were expected to stay within the social boundaries really assigned to them and to play by the rules. There was a clear pecking order and a very strong adherence to something that people call social reciprocity, which means you do things for people that you know are able to do something or give something back to you. In religious communities, this human approach to relationships was also projected onto deities that were worshipped. In the Greco-Roman world of that time, if you wanted a successful harvest, you'd offer sacrifices to Ceres. If you needed physical healing, then sacrifices to Apollo were due. And the main point, of course, was not to offer some genuine worship. It was to get something. It was to get something from the deity that you wanted for yourself. It was a spiritual form of the, the, the quid pro quo rule that governed just about all of daily life at that time. 
in Latin, quid pro quo, or this for that, meant an exchange of goods or services where one transfer was always contingent upon the other. In modern English, we might say, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It was the way the world worked. And when Jesus told his followers to do the exact opposite, he was prying apart the glue that held all of that together. We may presume to live in a much more evolved society where most of us have moved beyond the rule of quid pro quo, but deep down I think we know that that's just not true at all. That's why we still say things like, there is no free lunch, maybe jokingly, but deep down we experience quite a bit of truth of that because it affirms the basic assumption that in most cases people don't give or get anything without some strings attached, some expectations of reciprocity. Most recently, it's the argument that many people have made to try and get big money out of politics. The undeniable truth, they say, is that you cannot take big money from donors and then not be beholden to them, no matter what you say about that. If truth be told, there are many who think that the same rule applies in all religious communities. That may not be expressed openly, but the assumption made is that the biggest donors will always receive some sort of special treatment. Whether it's the ear of the pastor or some greater influence when decisions are made, the underlying assumption is that there will always be some form of quid pro quo going on behind the scenes. And the same assumption is often made too about the influence of people who've been around the longest, are the ones who are here the most during the week. Underneath, we often have this suspicion that that's, that's just the way the whole world works. And sadly, these assumptions often reflect a truth that people are very reluctant to admit or unwilling. But are they true in every case, without exception? Are we trapped in this cycle of quid pro quo that can't be broken even by the power of God? My answer to that is shaped profoundly by all of the exceptions to the rule of quid pro quo that I see in relationships around me, in our life together. And often this alternative behavior comes out of a deep trust that God does not treat us this way ever, that this is not God's way with us. You wouldn't guess that from hearing the theology of many Christians today who see faith itself really as a transaction between us and God. In this all too common understanding of our relationship with God, we give God what God wants and then God gives us what we want, especially things like eternal life. If you don't say the right words, do the right things, give the right amount, you can't expect God to just hand you a crown of salvation. Conversely, if you do the right things, if you say the right things, if you give the right amount, then you should expect special treatment from God. 
not just in the afterlife only, but also now, right here. Crassly speaking, it's an exchange of goods and services connected to our relationship with God, where one transfer is always contingent upon the other. But all of that changes for us when we absorb the good news of God's unconditional love and grace. When we hear and trust that God gives us these gifts without any conditions of reciprocity, then our faith ceases to be seen and experienced as a transaction. And it becomes instead the source of transformation. And not just in our relationship with God, but it transforms our relationship with other people. In daily life, that transformation is the alternative behavior that I'm seeing and remembering. And whenever I see it, I know that we are not trapped in this never-ending cycle of quid pro quo. If you ask people who prepared and served a meal at the Nativity House yesterday, I doubt if any of them would say that they were hoping to score some extra points with God for doing that, or that they were waiting to see some positive response from the people who enjoyed the meal before committing to going back there again. It's not a big thing, maybe, but it's a smaller example of those countless other things that I hear Jesus talking about in our gospel today. I think that Jesus is telling us again, you don't have to play by the rules. You can break free. You can start treating other people in the same way that God treats you. You can give freely without any expectations of what you will get in return. Because you know that your whole life is held in the deep and abiding love of God. In the end, you and I could never repay God for that gift, even if we gave all our money, all our time. But all of us are welcome at this banqueting table today, and all of us leave this place again with the renewed promise that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, who will never leave us or forsake us. Amen.